Hello and welcome to this edition of Something Marvelous. I am just very thrilled and excited today to have a special guest for today's podcast. And we're going to be discussing something that is very important to me and I'm becoming more and more passionate about it each day. And that is the topic of mental health and wholeness. And my guest today is Latasha D. Washington. She is a native of Cleveland, Ohio, and currently residing in Columbus, Ohio. She is a graduate of Baldwin Wallace College, where she majored in psychology and further her education as a seminary graduate of Ashland Theological Seminary. Latasha completed her master's in clinical counseling from Liberty University, and she is certified in mental health first aid. She's very active in the mental health field and has been since 1998. And she's currently employed as a functional family therapist at Buckeye Ranch here in Columbus, working with Lighthouse Christian Counseling Services. Latasha is also the creator and founder of her own company entitled LifeWalk, an interactive and practical approach to counseling. Latasha is passionate and specializes in depression, anxiety, biblical clinical counseling, mental health in the church, domestic violence, trauma, and spiritual abuse. So as you can see, our guest today is well qualified to speak on this topic, and I'd like to welcome and introduce Latasha D. Washington. Welcome, Latasha. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you are very welcome. Thank you for taking the time out to join my podcast today. How are you doing? I am doing well, and I'm excited for you, and just want to say congratulations on stepping out and doing this. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much, and uh, I am honored, as I said, to have you as uh, my guest today, and Let's just jump right in and get started um, with this topic, like I said, that is very, very important to me. And I actually want to be more active in the community with helping to bring awareness to mental health and wholeness. So, Latasha, can you remember uh, if there was a pivotal point in your life when you became so passionate and wanted to pursue a career in mental health? Well, I first, when I graduated from Baldwin Wallace and came here for grad school, I was just able to just look around and just kind of see like so many people need help, but what's really going on? Is it a mental illness? Is it emotional imbalance? And so I kind of just jumped into the field and became a caseworker for severely mentally ill adults. And in working with my clients in that location, checking out their files and and reading through things, I was just noticing that there were a high number of either like misdiagnoses or overdiagnosis. So basically meaning that, you know, saying that someone had a mental illness, but exaggerating it to, to where even they didn't think they could be well. Mm -hmm. And they thought they would always need, you know, help or caseworker, or they would always need to have this heavy medication, six or seven medications. And I'm just like, wait a minute. Like, I don't think this is the case for as many people as, you know, I had counted and done the research for. 
So that's when I became really passionate. Like, let's see what's going on. Find out what these clients actually need. Help them to become autonomous and independent, but still be able to be active in their communities, but well mentally and emotionally without overdiagnosing them or overprescribing medication for them. Wow, I, I love and appreciate that approach. Uh, because I don't feel like, uh, even in the uh, medical field, I don't feel like that. Uh, that's always the approach. It seems like uh, a lot of people are being heavily medicated and not mm-hmm. getting to the root of the problem. And so um, I appreciate just your approach from the very beginning. Now, um, your bio states that you've been active in this field since 1998. So let me ask, as a female, did you find it uh, difficult or challenging to break into the field of mental health back uh, some years ago? Now, as a female, no. But as a Christian, yes. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Explain that to me. So all the schools that I have attended have a Christian approach to psychology and to counseling so the word of God and scripture, scriptural principles are embedded in the curriculums where, where I've gone to school. Mm-hmm. But I was never really told that the church would come against what I was trying to teach mm-hmm. or trying to be mm-hmm. because it's, it's such a separated thing where they feel like the Bible and, and the word of the Lord and, and God himself is separated from mental health and mental illness Mm-hmm. So I was met with a lot of opposition that way. And even yeah. interviewing for secular jobs, they'll see, you know, some kind of way that I'm a Christian or I graduated from seminary. And then I'm bombarded with questions about how are you going to be a Christian and work here? I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. Okay. It's, yeah. it's because like, you know, you have to work with people who might be transgendered or someone might be homosexual. How are you going to push your Christian values aside and help them with their mental health? Okay. Okay. So I was met with a lot of opposition there. (laughs) I can understand that. And I see that from the uh, secular side. um, But also I'm sure that the church may have questioned you going into that field as well, because, um, I remember, you know, of course, I was extremely young, but I am dating myself, you know, back <laughs> in the day, back in the day, uh, churches didn't really, really promote higher education. Right. Uh, so I'm sure that, you know, even in 1998, some of that was still prevalent and mm-hmm. people were wondering, okay, why do you want to do this or why is it necessary? And, you know, sometimes um, the Christian concept is just, you know, pray your way through, mm-hmm. work it out. Uh, you don't need to seek professional help. That's that's definitely what I was I was met with. And I would, you know, and growing up in the church, being in the church, I would watch how people move and function and how they behave and how they interact with each other. And I'm looking around like, y'all need some help too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know, the Lord is the ultimate healer, but how many times do we block what the Lord is trying to do in our lives? Sometimes intentionally and sometimes unintentionally, because mm-hmm. you don't really know where that deep hurt is coming from. You don't really know if you have a mental illness or anything like that. 
mm-hmm. sometimes we just block our own healing, even from God himself, because we're not even ready to confront what's going on with ourselves. Exactly. And you hit the nail on the head, not ready to confront. So, you know, it's kind of the concept or the cliche that we sweep it under the rug. And mm-hmm. uh, if it doesn't bother us, we won't bother it and just let it hopefully go away for lack of attention. And right. that's not the case with mental illness, I'm sure. And my personal favorite is what happens in this house stays in this house. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. Another popular one that we hear all the time and um if there if the help is not in the house mm. you well have to go out of the house to get the help exactly i use an example when i do seminars and workshops you know if you break your leg are you just going to sit at home at the kitchen table with a broken leg or are you going to go and seek help can you just put a, a band-aid on a on a broken femur like no you can't no, absolutely. Very. That's not even wise. <laughs> no, it's not. That's not wisdom at all. Um, what can you suggest that we can do as leaders in our communities to bring awareness to mental wholeness and stability? I would say one one thing is definitely education. So I, I took a, mm-hmm. a class and it was called Mental Health First Aid. Now, I do have to say, I probably shouldn't have been in there because I'm an actual mental health professional, but this specific class is offered by either the Red Cross or the um, the Adam H. Board, which is our mental health board here in Ohio, and it's okay. for people who don't have a background in psychology or in medicine to teach them about mental illness, what it looks like, what symptoms look like. What and you know what it looks like as far as if someone is having a mental breakdown, if someone is on the verge of suicide, it's basically teaching you how to be a first responder as a layperson okay. to someone who might be in a mental health crisis. It's an eight hour course and it's free. Mm-hmm. An eight hour course and okay. it's free. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, addressing that. And when I was in the class. The thing that made my heart happy the most was that there were a lot of pastors in there. Okay. And and I spoke to I spoke to a lot of them afterwards just to ask, like, you know, what brought you here? What's what's going on? And you know, a lot of them said they have members who were dealing with depression or members who dealt with anxiety and they were coming to them, you know, for help, but they realized they had reached the end of their scope of knowledge. Uh absolutely. So okay. now it's oh, you're diagnosed with something versus, you know, I just, I'm just coming here for prayer or I'm coming here for counsel about this. It's like, wait a minute, you have a diagnosis. So that's something different that we're not equipped to handle. Absolutely. Okay. So this mental health first aid course that's free and mm-hmm. it's just an eight hour course, mm-hmm. it kind of is the first step to prepare anyone that is very interested in addressing uh, these types of issues uh, in their sphere of influence, whether it's um, in the home or Mm -hmm. the church. Okay, so uh, what would you suggest? What are some other uh, avenues that we can take from that point? What are other things that we can do? I would say to be able to Make sure that as a leader that you're open and you're warm and you're receiving Mm. so that people can 
feel like they can come and say something to you. They can have a conversation with you. And and that it's not, and this is the only way I can say it, overly spiritualized. Okay. Where, you know, it's, you, you got to fast and you got to pray. And I've had some people say, you know, what sin did you commit that this is happening to you? You wow. know, <laughs> you know, and you don't have enough faith because you're still sick. Mm-hmm. so it's mm-hmm. it's a lot of that you're taking medication so you don't believe god can heal you so being open being warm being receptive actually listening to what they're saying educating your church members about mental health and emotional wellness letting them know that this is a part of that abundant life god has for us because so many of us are just walking around in survival mode or just existing and no one's really living because mm-hmm. they're not free. Okay. And so, a lot of these chains are emotional, you know, our emotional chains, our mental chains, our traumas that have gone unprocessed. Wow. So education is the key. You're saying keeping the conversations open and going uh, is also very uh, pertinent to um, making some progress in this area. Do you feel that uh, the stigma is lessening or decreasing any um, when it comes to mental illness and mental health? Do you think that that stigma is still very, very prevalent or are we making some strides in that area? I feel like we are making some strides because we have so many different professionals and different organizations and groups that are really pushing the whole, let's have this conversation. Let's make the conversation about mental health and emotional health, something that's normalized so that we can take away the shame from it mm-hmm. because people don't really want to talk about it because they have such a, a large sense of shame and guilt for something that they honestly can't control without the proper help but it's like I, why would I bring it up if the first thing people are going to think is that I'm crazy or I have to be crazy to go to counseling so I mm-hmm. think that a lot of the conversations are letting people know what counseling is and what counseling is not so that people can understand that these are safe non-judgmental places where you can you know unload where you can decompress where you can get these emotions out and get the help that you need and work on coping skills or you know boundaries and then understanding that counseling doesn't just have to do with mental health and emotional health counseling can be career or vocational it can be premarital it could be marital it, I mean I've I've done budgets in in session okay but it's also because I take a more practical approach to mental mm-hmm. health if I have a client who has issues with anxiety let's find out what makes you the most anxious so it's about getting to the root of the matter regardless of what that uh, root is and yes and I tell when people first come in to my sessions I, I tell them I believe that I'm a different type of counselor because mm-hmm. I don't just deal with the leaves on the trees. I deal with the roots. Okay. And Good. I told them that the leaves are pretty much your symptoms because those are the things that you're seeing and feeling that brought you here in the first place. Okay. But the thing is, we don't recognize that we have, we're people of patterns and cycles and that comes from the root. You've been making a lot of root decisions, but what's there? Are you making decisions from rejection, neglect, abandonment? Are you making decisions from being unhealed in certain areas? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And um, since we're just chatting here, just, you know, real talk, I, uh, in some of my seminar teachings, um, God gave me a, an analogy that actually uh, was through something that um, happened in my life. And it was so simple, but it was so powerful. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, some years ago, it was really uh, not long after we moved from um, Baltimore, Maryland to Columbus. Uh, the first house that we purchased, uh, I absolutely loved the home, but there was this large tree in front of the home <laughs> that I really didn't care for. Mm-hmm. And so uh, every time we would drive into the driveway, my husband would you know, tell me, he said, I wish you would stop eyeing that tree and complaining about it. He said, there's nothing wrong with that tree, Denise. And I said, yes, but I just don't want it there. It's, you know, blocking the overall view of the house. Mm-hmm. So uh, one day I was walking and um, I saw a tree company that was on a couple of streets over. And um, the man was at the truck. So I asked him if he had a card. And so he said, well, do you live in the area? And I said, yes. And he said, well, I can just drive around when I'm finished and you can show me what you'd like to have done. So he did. And I told him, I said, I just want this tree gone. And he said, well, is it, you know, is something wrong with it? I said, no, I just want it gone. I don't, you know, want to see the tree in front of my house anymore. And it's getting bigger. So he, well, absolutely. Can we can set an appointment? I can, you know, take care of it. And so immediately uh, I jumped on it. So what he said was once he got the tree down, he said, now I need to give you another card for someone to call. He said, because now you're going to have to call this company to get the root of the tree. Wow. If you don't, uh, in a matter of weeks, you will see this tree sprouting again. Well, Latasha, I put the card in the drawer and just forgot about it because I thought, okay, my immediate problem has been solved. I'm going to be trees down. But just like he said, the tree started sprouting just in a matter of weeks. And, you know, I had done nothing about the root of it. So what the Lord was showing me was that you can take care of the surface, but Mm -hmm. somewhere at some point, that situation is going to come back up and surface again. So that was so powerful. And I've been using that in sermons and seminars and even in counseling that I do, um, you know, as a minister and as a pastor. So I know exactly what you're saying. You you really do have to get to the root of the matter, because if you just, you know, take care of the top or the surface, Mm -hmm. it's going to come back. It sure is. So thank you for, you know, reaffirming that. Um, I wanted to also ask you, I know that you said um, you do uh, family counseling as well. Yes. How important is it, Latasha, for when you're counseling an individual, whether it's a young person or uh, a wife or a husband, how important is it uh, to also counsel the persons that are connected to them or within that household? Is that necessary? I believe that it's very necessary because I've had I've had the opportunity to work with various agencies, community mental health agencies. And just like the, one of the first questions you asked me, what's something that sparked, you know, my passion about psychology. 
yes. um, or about counseling. Mm-hmm. This plays into that as well. I started with severely mentally ill adults and I'm just like, huh, is this my population? Is this, you know, who I'm really supposed to be working with? And then I said, well, maybe not adults. Maybe I should go to children and try to catch the issues and the mental health problems and the emotional health problems earlier so that when they grow up, they might, you know, have a, a better opportunity to live healthier lives. But I realized that when I was helping the children, I was sending them back home to the same dysfunction. Okay. Yes. So I'm working on this, you know, at school with somebody, but then I'm sending them home and they have to go back to the same situation that's causing, you know, the anxiety, the acting out behaviors, the depression, the self-harm. And then I, I really just, I prayed about it. And I said, I, I really think that connecting families with the person that's in therapy is the key. Mm, okay. Because so many people in, in families, like they can have a person that's diagnosed with something, but they really don't understand what it is. Like you can hear, okay, she's been diagnosed with depression and you might think, okay, then that means she's going to be sad all the time. That means she's going to cry all the time. Sometimes symptoms don't look like the textbook tells you in oh. a real person. Okay. So I have family members that will come in, like either the mom or I'll have the mom and dad, siblings, I'll have them come in and say, hey, this is what the diagnosis is. And this is what it looks like with your son or with your daughter specifically. Mm -hmm. So it's educating them. This is what the diagnosis is. This is what this means in layman's terms so that they can understand it. I had one professor that said, you have to always at least try to make sure you're speaking at an eighth grade level as to not intimidate, but also not to, you know, speak down or condescending to anybody. Make sure Mm -hmm. they're understanding what you're saying. I see. And then I take what those presenting behaviors are like, okay, you tell me that he's disrespectful. He slams doors. You tell me that he likes to stay in his room a lot. Well, this is what depression looks like for him. He Mm -hmm. likes to isolate himself. So that's what he's doing when he's going into his room and trying to be alone. Mm -hmm. Irritability is a part of depression. So that anger, that's still depression for him. So explaining, breaking it down, what does it look like for this individual? What does it look like in your house? So you can identify these behaviors, but also how can you help this person when you see these things? Really good, really good. I I feel, and I'm, another area that uh, gives me great concern is that the family is so uh, disconnected, mm-hmm. um, and there are you know just things that used to take place in families where families would sit down and have dinner together. Mm-hmm. The parents would work with the children on their homework, um, but now due to um, you know, economics and um, structure of society and, you know, two parents um, working in the household, both parents working in the household, mm-hmm. there, we have a lot of latchkey kids, if you will. Yes. And so sometimes the children are basically uh, raising themselves or taking care of themselves. And I think that, um, you know, sometimes this cannot be avoided. It's not that right. this is a, a choice that people make, but sometimes it's something 
that um, they have no choice in the matter. It's an absolute necessity. But um, how do we uh, address those issues when a lot of times these things are going on, they're actually happening, but the parents or the guardians are not recognizing it. They're just not seeing it. Um, it's there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's obvious, but either they don't have the energy to address it or, again, going back to um, just let it die for lack of attention and thinking that it's going to go away. That is something that is of great concern to me, too, because um, the longer it goes um, unattended, it's right to me that the worse it would get. Am I, what do you think about that? And a lot of times that is the case uh, with parents. You, you have parents that are working multiple jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a lot of parents that work like split shifts where they go really early in the morning. So then like the children have to get themselves up and breakfast and get to the school bus stop. And then they have a big chunk during the day where they're off, where they're at home for an hour or so when the kids are home, but then they have to go back to work. Wow. Wow at like five or six o'clock and then they're working until 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. So like you said, it's out of necessity because economically, you know, you need housing, you need food. You need to make sure, you know, that your children are taken care of. I have a lot of families that have been in shelters as well, mm-hmm. you know, and having to deal with the whole stress of that environment and still trying to get the kids to school and they're still going to work, but not having stable housing is another really large stressor. But I'm really thinking that schools are are getting more involved. Okay, so that's good. They have they have they have guidance counselors and and a lot of um well let's not call them guidance counselors, they're school counselors. So mm-hmm. first of all, they actually go to school and receive master's degrees for this. So it's not just your regular run-of-the-mill type of guidance counselor. They're actually doing assessments and testing and and helping. You know, they still help with the college application process, but they're starting to see more mental health issues in the schools. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been made aware of that, yes. So lots of schools now have school social workers. They have school psychologists. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of schools here in Columbus are directly connected to Children's Hospital and Children's Hospital Behavioral Health Department, and they're actually in the schools. Okay. So they're catching this behavior, and they're reporting it to the parents, but they're also making referrals for mental health treatment. Mm -hmm. They're making it known that there are other resources out here, some that you don't have to pay for, some that you can qualify for for funding. So the schools, I think, are taking a more active part in the referral process for families mm-hmm. and, and helping families out to say, hey, you know, these are some behaviors we're seeing here in the school. It's a pattern. You know, they're getting suspended all the time or we're seeing that they're isolating themselves. They're not, their grades have slipped, you know, different yeah. things like that. So they do the mm-hmm. referrals to the parent and they also do the referrals to the mental health agencies and then the mental health agencies follow up with the parents. Okay. Okay. Um. I think that uh, it's really important that we can do all that we can to get the word out to families and parents and even uh, single individuals that Mm -hmm. some of these um, 
areas they can get help and there are referrals that uh, do not cost or if you're without an insurance there is mm-hmm. a way to get some necessary help and I think a lot of people may shy away from even um, letting anyone know that they're suffering or that they um, you know have any issues in the way of any type of uh, any type of health issue whether it's physical or mm-hmm. mental uh, because they feel like, well, I couldn't pay for it anyway because it's too expensive or I don't have uh, insurance currently. So trying to uh, be more um, out there with the get the information out to the public and to the community that there is help out there um, if they will just research it. And there's, there's another another thing that can be added to that in addition to the question you were asking, like what can leaders do what can churches do to help in this situation Mm -hmm. i also recommend creating a resource book so it can actually just be a big binder that you can get you know from anywhere from a drugstore somewhere get a binder and Mm -hmm. put together lists of you know like you can have one section that's for food pantries another section that's for clothing vouchers or contact information another section that's for mental health so having these books in, as resource books inside of the churches can help as well. So when people can come to you, you'll have it ready or you can have it sitting out, you know, like maybe in like a lobby area or something so that people can kind of thumb through it, see what it is they need, get the contact information and, and have that just readily available. That's an outstanding suggestion and recommendation. I think that uh, will be very, very helpful and beneficial uh, for those that would need it. And like you said, just even for other areas, not just Mm -hmm. uh, mental or physical uh, help, uh, that's outstanding. Um, Another area that I want to talk about, and that is the suicide rise and I I don't want to put the label on it epidemic but it seems like oh it's there it's there (laughs) okay okay I just know some things you just almost don't want to speak into existence right Um, but it the suicide rates are on the rise and uh, what is so tragic I think is that some of the suicide victims are very young uh, 12 14 and that is extremely frightening to me. Very, very, very. I was actually in a, a training yesterday. Um, it's, it's to the point where there's been a, a suicide assessment created for just about anybody outside of the mental health field to use whenever they come in contact with a child. Now, that's the thing that scares me, that we have to teach you know, non-mental health professionals mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and, and lay people how to assess for suicide in children because of how, how many children are dying through this. Yes, yes, that is frightening. That is alarming. And I, I was sitting in the training like, okay, wait, this actually is not for us, but because it's about to be used universally, Mm-hmm. we're learning about it and they posted some statistics and it's it's alarming the the second highest cause of death for ages 10 to 24 is now suicide 
you say that again now because I don't think that's a statistic we should uh, just lightly graze over. The second highest cause of death for people age 10 to 24 is now suicide. The second highest cause of death for ages 10 to 24 is suicide. Yes. That is that is that's heartbreaking like it is. It is. So Latasha, what do we do? And I know that's you know, like a loaded question and there's no immediate answer, but I'm saying that this is a cause for urgency in this Mm -hmm. area. And the part that I think perhaps people are missing is number one, children have feelings. Mm -hmm. Children feel things deeper because they don't have a full understanding of things. Their brains are still developing. Okay, okay. They don't have a lot of coping skills because they're kids and they've never dealt with things like this before. Mm -hmm. And you should not overlook what's going on with your child. I agree. So one big thing that's happening with this particular age group is the rise of anxiety. Okay. And it's not usually, so people usually think, okay, behavioral issues or they're acting out in school or they're you know cussing out teachers and they're coming home and they're slamming doors these are the quote-unquote good kids Hmm. the the perfectionists the ones where they have four hours of homework when they come home but they're doing homework after they've done soccer practice or they've come from basketball practice or they've come from church because they've been at church all during the week And then they have to come home and finish up the project for Monday morning. They're very active in the church, very active in the community. No behavioral issues to speak of. Okay. But the anxiety and that quest for perfectionism and that quest to succeed and not be a burden to my parents is weighing heavily on them. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I think the demands of on our children today are much greater than they were. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even just a few years ago, like you said, they have a lot and they are expected to perform at uh, top notch levels. And I think mm-hmm. it puts a lot of pressure on them and it results in anxiety. And, you know, maybe um, some parents or adults that are out of touch with what's really going on with uh, children, they think, well, what do they have to worry about? They don't have to pay bills. Uh-huh. Uh, they don't have to, they have a roof over their heads. Their their clothes are bought for them. Uh, they have, you know, plenty of food to eat inside the house and outside the house. So for some people, they think life is good. I'm the one as the adult that's under mm-hmm. the pressure to make all this happen. But um, what you said when we talked uh, just when you started talking about suicide, about children not having the coping skills Mm -hmm. and their brains are not fully developed. So they don't know how to deal with these things. That, that was really powerful just to, to hear you bring that to light. Because that's why everything is, is so extreme. It's so final. Like if you think of a 16 year old, that just broke up with their boyfriend. That is the end of their world, literally. Like it's, you know, we might look at it like, girl, you gonna have more boyfriends. You only 16, shut up all that crying. No, no, 
that's literally the end of her world as she knows it right now. There's mm-hmm. a finality and an extreme feeling and scape of emotions when you're a child and you're growing up and trying to understand what's going on with life and trying to understand yourself. Very true. So the thing with suicide is that it's not many times. It's not really about, I want to end my life. It's I want to stop this pain. And this is the only way I know how to do it. Okay. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So with the child that's dealing with anxiety, the parent might not think it's an issue because they're not getting those calls from school such as you need to come pick your child up because they've been suspended, they are fighting, or they were disrespectful to a teacher. The calls they're getting is, yeah, you know, your child is getting inducted into National Honor Society. Your mm-hmm. child is MVP for this. So because they're not getting those negative calls and they don't see negative behaviors, they think things are fine. Yeah, okay, okay. But, the, the and I've had a recent, you know, um, a few recent, like, parents calling me trying to get appointments for their children they're like something's wrong like you know they're they're crying nonstop, or they're always in their room they're isolated they don't talk to us anymore their Mm -hmm. grades are fine everything is fine you know she you know they still come to church with me they're still active at church but Mm -hmm. she's just down Mm -hmm. or he's just angry yeah Uh yeah and it's just you, you have to pay attention to your, your children, their personalities, and, and if things are changing. And I know it's difficult because families have so much going on, you yeah. know. So There's many demands so on us. Yeah. So many demands. and Wow. But if you see that change in behavior, if you see, you know, they're studying more often, what time are they going to bed? Mm-hmm. How much technology are they, are they using? Mm-hmm. You know, putting, setting boundaries, having structure and rules really helps. I I can see that. Wow. Latasha, uh, this has been so informative. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate this conversation for uh, this edition of Something Marvelous. Um, I'm sure this is not the Last time we're going to talk, uh, I just appreciate you being my guest for today. Is Are there any final words that you have for us? And if there are any uh, referrals or recommendations that you want to uh, give to our audience, please feel free. And also, if you, um, I don't know what your uh, client load is like, uh, <laughs> but uh, if you are open uh, to accepting new clients at this time, uh, I'm sure that there are people listening that uh, may want to get in contact with you, but uh, that's solely up to you. If you would like to do that, I think that it would be such a benefit. So um, in your closing comments, just uh, share with us what it is that we as a community can do in this area, uh, because we need the help of people like you. Okay. For my closing remarks, I would say number one, And it sounds so simple and it sounds probably really trite, but be kind to one Mm -hmm. another. Mm -hmm. Just don't, don't make it your life's mission to, to add to someone else's, you know, hurts or failures or disappointments, you know, be intentional when you're with people, be intentional. When you say hello, make eye contact. If you ask someone how you're feeling, stop and actually wait for the answer. Mm. Because you might be that one person 
that can can cause this person to stop and think like, oh wait, somebody paid attention to me today. I am needed. Mm-hmm. I am needed. I am wanted. I am loved. But I would say it's okay to need help. It's not a sign of weakness that you need to reach out. It's not a sign of of weakness if you need to have somebody to talk to. Everybody struggles with something at some point. No one is perfect. Right. And sometimes you just need that outside professional that doesn't know your business, don't know (laughs) you, don't know your family, don't know your church family, Mm -hmm. for you to come in and talk to somebody Mm -hmm. that's solely there to hear what you're saying and also to help you have language and give words to what you're feeling and you mm-hmm. haven't been able to express it before. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Wonderful. Wonderful. So with that, there is a website, mentalhealthamerica.net, and that's mentalhealthamerica.net, where you can enter in your actual zip code, and they will pull up counselors and therapists and agencies exactly where you live. And okay. I want to say that cost is also one of the big things that keep people away from seeking counseling or therapy. So there are instances where, you know, Medicaid is, is accepted. Different types of insurances are accepted. Check with your human resources department at your job for employee assistance programs. Mm-hmm. With employee assistance programs, I know at my job for sure we have where I can go see a counselor for nine free sessions. Nine sessions? That is a lot. And yes, for free. Yes. <laughs> so yes. a lot of companies have employee assistance programs and people don't know about them or they don't use them. A lot of employees have health spending accounts where they have the debit card where they usually use it for like their co-pays when they go to the doctor or the dentist or when they go to the drugstore and they, and they pay for co-pays for you know, the pharma- pharmacy you can use those same HSA benefits and monies to pay for counseling. Okay. So people can check in with their HR departments. And there's also another thing when you are a student in a master's level program, and especially in this, in in the state of Ohio, we have strict rules about what we have to do to become a clinician. You have to have around 600 hours of internship which Mm. means you have to actually counsel people before Mm -hmm. you graduate. But with that, you get, you have the student who has to report to someone who's been in this industry, in the mental health industry and been practicing for multiple years, supervising them. I see. But when you get the student, sometimes that student costs $25 per hour to go get counseling from. Mm Mm-hmm. And $25 an hour, you get an intern and you get the intern supervisor who has way more experience. So you're kind of getting two for the price of one, actually. Okay. Because they have to bring it to them. Then the other thing is to check with counseling places and agencies to see if they have funds or scholarships available for people to receive counseling. Okay. So there are different ways that you can pay for counseling. There's counseling that you can get for free. And Mm -hmm. the current trend in um, children and adolescent counseling is that 
there are a lot of home-based services. So you wouldn't even have to come out anywhere. The counselor could come to you. Oh my goodness. Okay. Cause that's, 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 that's what I do. I've been doing that with the agencies that I work with. I go into the homes, into the schools and I'm right there with them. That's awesome. Wonderful. So a lot of, a lot of people, there, there are more resources out there than what we really know about. I and, see. <laughs> and, and some of them are free. Okay. Some of them are free. Some of them are covered by grants. Some of them are, are covered by different agencies so it's really getting out there and doing that research. Um, and as far as my practice is concerned, I am definitely accepting new clients. Uh, I, I counsel all ages. Uh, I can do family sessions, premarital counseling, marriage counseling. I'm doing a lot of career and vocational counseling currently because people are in search of their identities and what they're, you know, being called to do because that deals a lot with depression as well. Um, yes. But I can go ahead and give the phone number out to get in contact with me. Um, and my number is 614-421-3317. Once again, that's 614-421-3317. And I do have evening and weekend hours because scheduling is another issue why people don't come to counseling mm-hmm. either. So I try to really make it as convenient as possible because I never want that stigma of you need to be rich to have mental health care mm-hmm. you need to you know I can't come to counseling between nine and five because I'm at work from nine to five yeah I can't come to counseling because I can't get off so with my practice I really take a practical viewpoint towards the counseling itself it's very conversational it's it's very laid back um and I also make sure that the payments are reasonable so I don't charge what some other larger places would charge for you to mm-hmm. come and see them. Mm-hmm. And I also can do payment plans as well. I tell my clients all the time, don't let this fee be the reason you're sitting at home crying on your bed and you don't want to make an appointment because you don't have any money. We mm-hmm. can work out payment plans. We can make sure I have some people who actually pay, you know, $10 per week and then finish the balance at the end of the month. People that pay on their paydays only. So Mm -hmm. just really working with them so that they can not, I don't want to be another stressor. (laughs) I don't want to, I don't want to add to the problem. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, wow. Well, thank you so much, Latasha. This has been uh, awesome speaking with you. And again, today, our guest has been Latasha D. Washington. She is certified in mental health first aid Uh, She's been active in the mental health field since 1998, so she's got a lot of years of experience under her belt, and she's currently employed as a functional family therapist here in Columbus, Ohio, and she is also the creator and founder of her own company, Life Walk LLC, which is an interactive and practical approach to counseling. So this has been uh, wonderful spending this time with you. I know our audience has uh, received some very vital uh, information that they can take and thing with if they don't need it themselves, uh, get this information to someone else because it's all around us. But what we have uh, put forth today is that it's nothing to be ashamed of. Just get the help that you need because it is out there. So again, Latasha, Ms. Washington, thank you so very much. 
Hopefully we will uh, be able to get on your schedule for a follow-up conversation, but be blessed today and blessings to our audience. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.